The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. So, what comes after Cyberpunk? And tonight, we're going to find out, or at least we're going to find out how we got to Cyberpunk. Because we have with us our esteemed friend, Jack Ward. Hey, post-apocalyptic Neo-Shakespearean times. And we've brought Jack in to help us, because we're going to talk about the media. Specifically, how easy it is to manipulate the media. Recently, the three of us have all read a book called Trust Me, I'm Lying by Ryan Holiday. And it's the story of how Ryan spent several years manipulating blogging and the social media in general for various rich clients. It's an excellent book. I highly recommend. We're going to be going over some of the ideas, but it's not fiction, so we're not exactly spoiling anything. And I still recommend reading it very much because you probably will only get to hear a tiny fraction of it tonight during our conversation at most because there's so much to cover and we've got so many comments about the whole thing to discuss. All right. So to start with, um, let's talk about how easy it is to mess with the media. So Don, how easy is it? It's real easy. See you next week. No. All right. Thanks for listening. Before everyone. anything happens, I just want to point out that both Don and Rob are horrible misogynists, right-wing trolls, and I'm just trying to do my very best to start a controversies <laughs> because that's exactly what he wants in the book, right? Or at least what he how you get this stuff rolling, I would say, right, Don? True. Oh, you forgot the obvious way of doing it too. Where he mentioned specifically anything that any headline ends with a question mark is probably a total lie. Case yes. in point. Is Jack Ward part of the Tom Hanks lizard people conspiracy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's that the wrong question. Yeah, thank Don. you and good night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember after the UFO episode, somebody That's knows right. more than they should. Dun dun. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no, the questions are, are 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 what get people's attention, but we're we're skipping ahead of stuff. By yes, saying. yes, mm -hmm. we definitely are. Now, I think we should go back and be a little historical about this, because one of the things that Ryan talks about in the book, and I thought this is worth discussing, is how human nature has not really changed a whole lot over the years. Okay, And he points out in the book that most of what he did in terms of uh, convincing people to spread lies and misinformation and propaganda, he learned from the old yellow press from the 1850s on. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And even in the book compares some headlines between the two sides um, and asks you which is which is uh, yellow journalism and which is a uh, real headline. In fact, give me one sec here and I'll, I'll see if I can find them. He talks about Randolph Hearst, especially. Right. You know, yeah. and the and the work that he did or or or, or the uh, propaganda that he did to sell papers. So. Oh, yeah. exactly. And, he, wasn't he the famous line, you know, you, you give me the. You give me the troops, I'll provide the war or something like that. Yeah. 
So Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, here we go. I'll just read a few of them. These are modern blogging headlines. Naked Lady Gaga talks drugs and celibacy. Hugh Hefner, I am not a sex slave rapist in a palace of poop. Top nine videos of babies farting and or laughing with kittens. How Justin Bieber caught a contagious syphilis rumor. Like these are literally the headlines from modern ones. Yep. Now here yep. are some from, 19, from 1898. Okay. War will be declared in 15 minutes. An orgy of gray-haired men, callow youths, gamblers, roughs, and painted women. General drunkenness fights at intervals. It was Vice's carnival. Couldn't sell his ear, old man shoots himself. Owl frightens woman to death in the hospital. Bulldog tries to kill young girl he hates. Cat gave tenants nightly creeps. As you can see, things really haven't changed that much. I mean, there's a little nope. more focus on celebrity at that at that point. But, I mean, yeah, there it, it, it's sad, but human nature just doesn't change. And so Ryan was smart enough to actually just go back and read how the masters of the old days did it and then made a career doing it himself because it wasn't that yeah. hard. Yeah, there, there's kind of two, three, three, I'm going to say three principles about how the human brain works that I think to keep in mind for, for discussions like this. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing a big, a big, big, big problem he, the human brain has is what they call source amnesia. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, if anybody doesn't know, it's the idea that I think pretty much everybody listening knows what a car is, but you probably can't remember how you learned what a car was. Wow, you're right. Mm. Yeah, that's they, 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 that's called source amnesia. And it, it, the idea is that your brain kind of just remembers things it thinks is important. Uh-huh. And that's why it won't always remember where you learnt things, but it will remember the thing itself. Language is another big thing, is that there's probably a lot of words and such you don't remember learning, but obviously you learnt them at some point. Obviously. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that that that's important because it kind of plays into a lot of the uh the stuff like uh they talk about the Mandela effect. Mm-hmm. Right. The idea that you know for a fact that you know Nelson Mandela died last year, even though you know, no people remember that. We've talked about um, amongst ourselves the Thunderbird photo. Yes, that everybody remembers an actual picture from cowboy days of cowboys that shot down a pterodactyl in real life, but nobody can produce that picture. But like anybody who has any kind of interest in that sort of thing remembers that picture. Right. Yeah, it was a it, Time Life book that my sister had. And I literally would swear it was real. I really would. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the books those, were given away long ago, but I really would swear that I can actually tell you exactly what the picture looked like, too. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of um, the different sides of that same effect, that because we don't remember where we learnt things, mm-hmm. it's easy to misinterpret where we learnt things, to misunderstand how we learnt things, uh, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That comes up. Uh, another thing that the human brain does that sort of ties in is repetition Mm -hmm. that the more often you hear something, the more often you, you read something more often you think something, the more ingrained it becomes in your brain and the more you take it just as a given. Yes. But again, it, it ties in with the other, with the, the other one and a half points 
because we don't remember where we learned something. So if we hear something often enough, that's where the old, oh, it must be true, everybody's saying it comes from. Right. Mm-hmm. That we, we start to not, because we don't record exactly how we heard this so good, because we keep hearing it, we sort of treat it as a given and therefore a fact. Mm. Well, he, he kind of argues, though, that it's not even, it's not even that you, um, you hear it again and again. It's the first time you hear something. Like that, like the, the backfire effect comes into play. If, if you, if it's mm-hmm. so salacious that you believe it the first time, even if somebody comes back at you and says, uh, actually, that's not what happened. It's too late. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's, oh, sorry. Yes. And I don't know if this is the third thing you're going to mention, Don, that they also discovered that if you correct someone on their facts, they tend to believe them even more. Yeah, there's the the catch with that. The third thing kind of ties into that. It's the idea of novelty and sensationalism mm-hmm. that we gravitate towards the the bigger, more shocking, more stimulating, and therefore more entertaining kind of stories. Yeah, right. And that's that's one of the things you get to with that. It's also that idea why if I say something that's not true and later present a retraction, nobody gives a shit. Because the retraction isn't anywhere as near as interesting as finding out that Jack is partner with Tom Hanks and the Lizard People. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not not true at all. Nobody cares. They've moved on. Yeah. The 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 novelty yeah. thing means they've moved on to the next big shock, and this is kind of rehashing old info. Mm-hmm. And it's not as interesting. Plus, it requires I do a little bit of thinking, which is like homework, and nobody wants to do that. So now we've already moved on. We're we're. Worrying about, like, does Jack have a second vestigial face on his back that whispers evil thoughts to him? Like, we've already moved on. Right. Well, some of us have, but you're obviously kind of obsessed with it, Don. <laughs> dun, dun. Well, people are saying that, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so those are all definitely important uh, psychological factors. And if you can figure out how to put those together, as Ryan did... Uh, and many you know yellow journalists and bloggers have, then it really does give you a huge advantage. You can start to play with uh, the system very yeah, right. easily. The first thing we should discuss probably is the idea of trading up, because I th- thought that was a fascinating idea. Right. So, right. Jeff, do you remember the, how Ryan trades things up? Well, yeah, he was he was talking specifically. I feel like I'm being tested. This is good. Um, <laughs> he talked specifically about taking, uh, dropping off a. Um, a little note to an uh, one of these sort of really hungry blogs for rumors, and there's a sports blog that he talks about specifically, and they, I, you know, they talk about how right on their tag is like, you know, we're, we get no access to any sports kind of thing, you know, right. and they, so it's just nothing but rumors. But what ends up happening is, is you start in one of these places, and he's he's created his own like email accounts and his own Twitter accounts, and so he's he's made fake accounts to do stuff um and and then he'll he'll or or in one case uh he was uh working with a hollywood uh director do you remember the name of the movie oh that was i I hope they serve beer in hell yes i hope they serve beer in hell thank you don and so he what he would do is he the guy said i don't care what you do just get the word out basically so he actually went around with a whole bunch of stickers uh defacing all of the posters that were up about I hope they serve beer in hell talking about how much of a of a of a misogynist and awful human being he was and the whole bit 
And then he called in the tip himself saying, hey, I was driving by this one, you know, poster and I noticed it was one, you know, massive bulletin board thing. And, and I found that uh, there, this was this was happening and it was I think it was on this street and this street. And the next thing you know, it moves up the chain. And so it, go, it starts in those rumors. It gets spread on Twitter. Um, a lot of these secondary uh, outlets, every major newspaper and media mm -hmm. place has their own secondary blog where they, they they start funneling some of this information from. And people naturally don't bother taking the time to actually run down if the story is true or not. They just yep. move all the way up the long. So this is where you can get, and he talks about how things like the Shirley Sherrod story Mm -hmm. uh happened and uh, the acorn story from james o'keefe i literally just talked to somebody about james o'keefe a right-wing guy from james o'keefe uh about him last week mm -hmm. and he swears that james o'keefe is a real journalist and i'm like this he, that he's never been proven to be a sham and i'm like are you kidding they took him to court well now i know why and mm -hmm. uh I've sent him this book, hopefully, that he'll listen to it without mentioning the James O'Keefe thing, just so that it, it might help. But in the end, he might just have backfire himself. He might mm -hmm. just go back and double down and saying, oh, this guy's obviously... We, and he's not. The, the author is obviously not uh, a particular liberal or conservative. Like Andrew yep. Breitbart, which is one of the sh most shocking things that I heard in the book, Andrew Breitbart, famous for Breitbart.com, very mm -hmm. right-wing thing. He's not right wing. He's just a media manipulator. He's also the guy who helped found it, found the Huffington Post. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. So it's amazing. So. It, exactly. And I suspect it, did I did I answer your question well? Yes, you did. Actually, I there think you, I, I, you definitely passed. Caught back. all the elements. Yeah, you Good. got you got all the main elements definitely. Um, and okay. that's what it is really. It's just about knowing that each level of the media is feeding from the levels underneath it, so that if you know. Yes how the chain works if you know the, the which blog at the top is feeding from which one secondary blog which is feeding from which territory blog which is feeding from which blogs underneath it you can literally just all you have to do is get the people at the bottom talk right people at the bottom talking about the right thing and it will just get sucked right up to the top for sure yeah and i thought that was fascinating um how there's this media ecosystem we think of it top down but no it's actually going both ways so you just That's have to right. know how to play mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. And it also makes me wonder truly then as I one of the things that really shocked me as I read the book, maybe shock is too strong a word, but I already knew how easy it was for small things at the bottom to get echoed up to the top to become not to, to gain the appearance of being really big. Right. And mm -hmm. this just absolutely confirmed that how you can just have one blogger spreading one nasty rumor and it literally just suddenly is on CNN four hours later. Right. Yeah. And there's doesn't have to be any truth to it. One blogger in Kansas can be saying that this new movie is a piece of, uh, you know, right wing trash and mm -hmm. give a, you know, some example or something like that. And suddenly, you know, every, uh, every left-leaning blog is suddenly carrying it because they want it to be true and up it goes. And suddenly, suddenly MSNBC is talking about it and Rachel Maddow's having a discussion with three people on it that night. Exactly. And it's not true. You know, it, and by the way, folks, I want to make it clear, everyone's doing this. It's not even, 
it's not even about politics or sides or any of that because most of these people are apolitical, as Jack just said. Mm -hmm. They really yeah. are. They don't care. Their god is money. They really don't care about anything else. If anything, they're almost sociopathic, right? They, I think, they almost <laughs> have to be to do this. Yeah, and that, and I think, I think, in some ways, like, I don't think he's necessarily sociopathic, or he wouldn't have written the book. I think his 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 whole thing is that he he was just having fun, and then yep. he realized, holy crap, this is actually pretty bad stuff. Um, and then and that's when he started like when he started seeing people getting hurt. Yep. That's when I think it really started to strike him as like, whoa, this is a problem. Well, before it was just a game, right? It was just this fun right. game of how he could play the internet, how he could get all these bloggers to do what he wanted them to and make a lot of money doing it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, sorry, Don, go. Oh, um, I was going to say it. it is because it's one of the weird things, and I've, mm -hmm. I've been saying this forever, is because we've got like the internet and stuff, the internet didn't give us anything new, but it gives us the old and just mind-blowing amounts. Because mm -hmm. that's kind of what, what, what happens with this. Because what he calls trading up uh, used to happen all the time. Mm -hmm. But it was a little slower, and the people doing the trading up had less anonymity. Yes. And the best example I can think of was like the D&D &D thing. Okay, yeah. And we've talked about that too, how all it takes is you had a couple of like concert citizen groups. You had the one we started uh, bothered about Dungeons and Dragons mm -hmm. and you had the rise of the religious right. And then they picked up on this D&D is &D the work of, of, of Satan thing. And over the course of a couple of years, these groups all kind of started commingling and swapping ideas in different ways. And it becomes a movement and it works its way up the chain. And eventually, like, real news is doing articles about how evil Dungeons & Dragons is. Mm -hmm. The difference we get nowadays is that it happens so damn quickly. And that's, that kind of gives you a two-way problem. Because if you're somebody who makes your living on the news, you have to be a lot quicker than ever before. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that he talks about in the book was that you can seed these stories like he did with the movie posters because the people at the bottom, even in the middle, don't really have enough time to check the veracity of any of this. Right. No, because and, you've got a system where they have to publish X number of articles a day. Well, yeah, or, or just as, as quickly as you can provide new content. Yep. And I think one of the things that happens, because you guys are discussing uh, the people causing this being sociopaths, I think more often than not, some of, some of them definitely are, but more often than not, what happens is you're caught up in that speed and anonymity that you're just on that treadmill and you're not even thinking about any of the damage that you mm. could be doing. It's just the idea, I need 2,000 more views before you know my three-hour bedtime tonight kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And because you get caught up in that, yeah, you don't realize that the things you're affecting are real people. Yeah. Uh, I, th I think the obvious one is that you'll see uh, there's been more than a few stories over the last decade of remorse that somebody gets destroyed on the internet and then somebody else starts feeling bad for that. And I yeah, think again... they talked about Scott McCloud from Dilbert. 
mm-hmm. uh, and how he got destroyed mm-hmm. in, yeah. in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. He might not have been the total douche nozzle everybody thought he was, but that's right. People just, you get caught up in this wave and you don't realize that that thing you're taking apart is actually a person and that you're, you're causing harm to them. You're causing harm to your audience. Uh, he talks about in the book the idea of the uh, the riot in Afghanistan protesting uh, the minister guy that mm-hmm. was going to burn a Koran. That 30 people died, and that was a big turning point for why he thought doing all this stuff and messing with the public online was maybe bad. Mm-hmm. But it's because he had that realization, and the human brain doesn't contradict itself very easy. You need something big and bold and shocking to get your own attention. And yeah, that that was the turning point that he had trouble doing it after because he started realizing these were people he was dealing with. Right. Yeah, true, true. Um, And once they start being people, you can't do it anymore. Not the same way. Unless you're a total sociopath. True, which again, I think some people are. Right. But But what goes back to, and I was mentioning this, uh, we were talking briefly before the show, um, how there's a, I wish I knew which satellite, which Russian satellite it was in, but there's actually a campus that exists and there's, like, there's a, there's a documentary about it where mm-hmm. that were, it's basically an arm of the Russian intelligence service where they basically just hire a bunch of college kids to basically act as like bloggers and do this kind of thing, except they're doing it destructively. And yeah. these, they're bringing these young bloggers, they give them a happy, fun work environment um, they're given targets to get a certain number of stories out. And these kids are doing things like, for example, they're running a Facebook group about puppies. And yep. you might think, how does that help the Russian security apparatus? Well, because when election time comes around, they can tell their 50,000 um, you know, beagle lovers that, by the way, did you know Hillary Clinton is actually running a child pedophile ring? Because that's what they're doing. They're setting up these all these different operations that will then be activated when they need them. Right. And in addition to that, they're also the group that uh, got two completely different uh, groups of uh, people to show up and actually fight in an American city. I'm trying to remember. They organized the protest and the counter-protest. Mm-hmm. That's right. And oh, I wish I could remember that. I think it was Atlanta where that happened. I'm trying to remember. Because I think it was yeah. like... I think it might even have been over Confederate statues or something like that. Yeah. So they're literally just stirring the pot. And I don't think yep. any of these kids are actually evil. I don't even think they're sociopaths, most of them. I think they're just right. like, this is kind of fun. You know, they're, right. they're messing with, uh, they're messing with, you know, someone who's like causing their country big problems through um, sanctions and such. Because remember, the Russia is under sanctions, thanks to the states. And they're thumbing their finger at authority and um, they're getting paid and a pat on the back for doing it. So why not? Wow. Yeah. yeah. And well, now that's... imagine a group or many groups in the United States, like say the offices of Gawker. Well, while they exist, they don't exist anymore. Um, we'll get to that. And imagine a bunch of American kids doing that and getting yeah. paid and getting rewarded for it. And now imagine many groups of American kids doing it. And they're not doing it to Russia. They're doing it to the United States. Exactly. Yeah, because a lot of people are just doing it for for kicks. Yeah, they they the the colloquial term for the Russian thing is a troll farm. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And rest assured, everybody has them. I mean, even to the point that 
one of the delightful things about the internet is you can get people to screw themselves in those ways without even really trying. Yeah. Like there's plenty of groups that stir the pot again, just for shits and giggles. They don't have any, any stake in the outcome. They don't have any like political or philosophical affiliation. They just think it's funny watching like the mundanes all freak out over stuff. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And so that would be called 4chan. <laughs> well, is he also is there's a new thing that's not 4chan, it's like 5chan or something or 6chan, 8chan, 8chan. 8chan. So it's 10. even worse in 8chan, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the whole deal with 8chan, I think is isn't it coming from the whole German 88 thing? Like there's a session I thought the Germans had with 88 or something like that because it's like ultra super right wing. Mhm. Mm like, oh, really? Literally Nazi right wing. Yeah, it's that's what wow. 8chan basically is. It's the stuff that was too hard for 4chan and Jeez. 4chan is like the hardest thing you're gonna get on the internet i was gonna internet. say how is that possible <laughs> well can you imagine like 4chan's in there going look i'm all down about you know the the tom hanks uh lizard lizard people and everything like that but you just go too far when you add the saturn people in there Yep. <laughs> you know, the saturn the saturn nazi people where where hitler's brain was sent to reconstitute in that of body of a a chimp mixed with a robot <laughs> yep like that's just crazy <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> well you're 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 right and this goes with um to kind of maybe jump ahead a little bit mm -hmm. what what we were discussing just before recording the idea that you guys see hope mm -hmm. i don't because what ends up happening once you get on that treadmill, you always need that bigger, more shocking thing. Mm -hmm. And no matter how outraged people are over the process now, they're going to gravitate to the next biggest shocking thing. And that's a good a good example, right? Hmm. 4chan too tame for you? You're, well, we got this thing over here that's even more Nazi-esque. <laughs> and, and that's... And that's the problem that we're at now is because you've got that rapidity, you, you really do start to see the, 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 like an escalation. Mm, right. And, and because of this trading up thing, I think part of the problem is that escalation in the olden days, it would stay pretty like low key. It'd be like a small select group of people that were worried about Tom Hanks and the lizard people sneaking in, taking their guns and forcing them to get gay Muslim abortions. But because the, the the rapid pace everything moves at now mm. everything moves up the chain a lot quicker and really crazy stupid shit ends up becoming like an actual i'm doing finger quotes serious news item right well because again they have to publish every day multiple times a day and they're often paid by the article and they're paid by the number of clicks that article gets mm -hmm. so if yeah you... they're not paid by the by the word anymore they're paid upon how many people have actually seen that article? Eyeballs, clicks. For people who don't yeah. know what clicks are, you know, yeah, eyeballs exactly. that have actually seen that thing. Now, of course, you can. They also talk about how they places like I forget he was like he was at he was at Gawker or something like that, and it constantly just having it on your website, it'll constantly refresh itself so that it can actually scam the people who are being paid. That it constantly refreshes. Same with Huffington Post. Yeah, yeah. So that it looks like you're looking at new content, but you you could just have it in the background and never know kind of thing. 
Yeah. 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 That's exactly right. It's constantly refreshing itself. And also what struck me was uh, the part where he talks about where Gawker itself, there's a giant master board in the main, you know, main room of Gawker showing right. all the top posts and what their, you know, what their rankings are right now. So they, with the assumption that if you're at the bottom, mm-hmm. you could be fired. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. If you if you're not sure. adding to that list, uh, you have a problem. You're going to get replaced by Billy over there, who's who's better at uh, getting clicks than you are. And they mm. do spend the time saying, "Look, you know, you you think you're doing actually." And and they he said very clearly, I forget what it was. Maybe it was the guy from Gawker, and they said he wasn't looking for somebody who had any kind of credentials as a writer. Right. Or it was. Yeah. It was Nick. It Denton, literally, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Comes strictly down to speed. Yep. How fast are you? Yeah. And so this is, you know, this is the ugliness. It it really is graffiti. Hmm. You know what I mean? Pretty much. It's is, just yeah. def- definitively dif- digital graffiti that it's just going to sit there and 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 grab people's eyes and 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 constantly try to draw them away because they're fighting for a massive space in the internet and and just trying to get your attention. And so the more salacious they can be, the more the more they can grab your attention. The, the, the more clicks they're going to get. And as, as Don said beforehand, um, adding a question mark just adds that kind of extra tension in your head. You know, is, yeah. is, is Don a uh, truly a, uh, a, 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 a Plutonian in the form of a statue? And if you deny it, I love the aspect too, where he says, actually like he talks about the whole aspect that if you deny this or try to counter it, it just goes badly for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not saying anything goes badly, because then what are you trying to hide? And denying it goes yeah. badly. And they had that like the uh, one particular blog lady who uh, the very famous case about you know does John Stewart have a woman problem at the mm-hmm. Daily Show? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know it was obviously completely untrue, but she didn't. It didn't have to be true. It wasn't important that it was true. It was just getting people's eyes there. You know, he mas- mentions yeah. Jezebel an awful lot too. The po- he the does. site Jezebel, so it, it it's it's startling, and I'm wondering if if he this came at the time um, before the Mary Sue showed up, because I think the Mary Sue sort of showed up as an even more salacious version of Jezebel. That's not exactly true. The Mary Sue was basically, as far as I know, I'm not an expert on this. What is more geek oriented? Like the Mary Sue is basically the female nerd version of Jezebel. What's what I mean? I mean, it's it's more salacious in the respect that Jezebel actually sometimes will have some interesting articles where the Mary Sue will will really be basically about nothing. You know, I mean, it, it's definitively trying to talk about, um, you know, who said what in which movie or, you know, it's very much nerd culture to the point that it, it's not like Jezebel. I, I, I linked a really interesting map they had on Jezebel of most famous female names from like 1920s uh, or 40s all mm-hmm. the way up to 2010. Mm-hmm. And that what they had is this map of the United States and you could see the names moving. Like that, they always took the top name all the way through. And from like 1970, you can go look this up on your own. It's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, it, hyperlink, yeah. hyperlink here. From the 1970 <laughs> to like the 90s, you know what the most popular name was? Uh, Jennifer. Oh, okay. Jennifer, of all things, right? Mm-hmm. So that, and then you're looking at, you can see like the 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 whole um, uh, uh, English 
you know, the the eastern coast, like the the, the English eastern coast side, and you start seeing like the the muffies and stuff like that. The New England, thank you. The New England coast, right? You see, it's not muffy, but it's like the Madisons, the Sophies, the you know those kinds of things that that pop up there. Whereas you know down below in the southern states, you've got your typical ones there, like you know amber and stuff like that. You know, so mm. it's it's really funny to see the changes. It would have been nice if they did one for the men, but it's Jezebel. So what do you expect, right? Exactly. So. <laughs> I, I wonder if that's tied in with uh, Freakonomics has a chapter on that where they talk sure. about how names cycle through society. They usually start at the top of society and then they slowly work their way down. Well, this mm-hmm. this puts this puts the question about Freakonomics. It, it like is he like a lot of his stuff is pretty salacious. How much of his stuff is actually based on real fact as well? Here's another thing that I used mm-hmm. to hate. Like, so I had a friend of mine. Um, who ran a, a blog and he eventually sold it. And cause again, he was just constantly writing, writing, writing. This is probably about 10 mm-hmm. years ago or something now. And uh, I, I kind of want to send him this book because I told him this is what would happen. And of course he's going to just yell at me and say that I was wrong. <laughs> uh, cause it's just the way it happens. Right. right. Um, but I, I remember I, I told him that it, it, it wouldn't end up working because the main aspect does is that, you're constantly publishing. This is the reason why when I went through, I, I'm assuming you got an English degree as well in undergrad. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's one of the things you could do is become a journalist. I didn't want to be yes. a journalist because I knew that I would be writing so much that I wouldn't write for the fiction that I wanted to love to write. I mean, I would get better mm-hmm. as a writer, but I would just burn myself out of writing during the during the day and I right. wouldn't be able to do that. And this was way before the blogs world came out because you were still expected to be able to, if you were, if you were of any kind of good um, you know, writer, you had to have something mm-hmm. into your paper every single week, right? And so mm-hmm. you'd have to spend a lot of time researching and getting it just right and making sure your sources, that was the, that was the thought at the end. Um, but then when, when it came with the internet, and I, I could see this coming a mile away, that, that people just were thirsty for whatever grabbed their eye. I mean, how many times did we see those really ugly animated GIFs on people's websites for like mm. the first couple of years. Oh yeah. Just to grab somebody's <laughs> attention, right? So it, it's this this is not new. People like this this the sparkly shiny things. And I'm in Twitter more often now than I used to be. And I'm mm-hmm. and I'm seeing the games that people play in Twitter. Um I'm amazed at how many women uh talk a lot of sexual stuff. Mm-hmm. to get to get responses and then get really offended when men start talking sexually back to them and i'm just like wait what 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 are you, what are you talking about here so you know like is, is, they'll say things like is it me you know or you know have i been using my vibrator enough or something like that or something like that and then of course it just in, invites some guy to come back and make some sort of snarky remark and then the, there's this a sense of offense like i wasn't asking you but no, you posted it to everybody on your list, right? Yeah. So, and 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 that's and it there's there's other ways that people want to get attention too. So, I've mm-hmm. done a couple of things like I've suddenly got I just sort of responded to like writing community, for example, and suddenly I had 50 new people adding themselves to me. Wow. Uh and then suddenly like this was in the last week, and so I just made a poll today. And I just mm-hmm. sort of said, you know, when do you like to write? One of the most stupid polls, like Monday. Sorry, sorry. When do you like to write? Uh, morning, afternoon, or evening? Um, by the time five, ten minutes turned around, I had 27 responses. Yeah. Hmm. That was just 
like five minutes, right? And 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 people love polls because pe- it gets yeah. their attention. They can answer quickly and stuff like that. So you know, from from my perspective of trying to get my blog out there or my po- podcast out there, I've noticed mm-hmm. that um, I I put up a show, and in the short time that I, I noticed, I was like, wow, uh, it went up a hundred downloads in less than you know fifteen minutes at one point. And I noticed mm-hmm. that it came it came from the fact that I went on to my personal uh, Twitter thing and and said something about oh yeah I did this this particular show a little while ago and I really quite enjoyed it. Tell me what you think. Boom, mm-hmm. hundred downloads from that. Wow. So I'm like whoa. And normally I've been doing like stuff from the Sonic Society uh, Twitter account because that's more official, or the uh, the Mutual Audio Twitter account that's more official. But again, people like that personal touch because they think it's a real person, right? I'm not a real. I'm not a real person. It's 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 ascending of Jack Ward. This is what I've been trying to tell people. You're not a real person online. You're ascending yeah. of yourself. That's mm. it, right? Yep. That's true. You're playing a role. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's it. Comes down to this idea that I always tell my media students that the biggest and most valuable currency online is attention. Yes. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. And going back to Ryan Holiday's book, his book is really just a book about how to get attention online, even if you have to sell your soul to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he talks about the, the many different ways. So maybe we should go through a few of the ways that he talks about. Actually, wait, no, I want to talk about what one thing first. I, I found the whole idea of the whole yellow press thing that like fascinating. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that the, the man who came up with the daily yellow press happens to be named benjamin day i don't know why that just that just (laughs) it it's one of those things that it's right up there with the guys who invented the movie camera being the lumiere brothers yes Mm -hmm. like there are certain things like that that happen and you're just like you couldn't write this this is like literally (laughs) too like it's too unbelievable you wouldn't you if, if you read that in a book you'd be like oh really come on Exactly. This, this is what I call the fingerprints of God, right? Yeah. It's just these 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 elements that you sit there and you go, "There's there's something going on because this somebody's playing a joke on me, right?" You know, like none of this stuff. There's no way they're called the Lemire uh, Lemire brothers. Uh, exactly. Lemire, which means for people in French is like light, right? You know, yeah, exactly. So, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> with the flickering lights. So anyway, you were saying, yeah, let's exactly. go through the list. Um. And so originally, he uh, he basically Benjamin Day created the New York Sun in 1933. Okay, and it mm-hmm. was literally a a paper that existed to be sold for a penny, and he paid the unemployed to hawk his papers. Immediately solve a major problem, uh, unpaid subscriptions because literally it was cash and carry. You just had to buy it and you paid a penny for it, and it right. was a massive success. And so as an end result. The papers, which had existed mostly to be personal presses and small political presses and such, and had some subscription success, literally turned into um, these yellow journalism rags, basically for almost a hundred years. Like with he, paper boys yelling at um, at the street corners. Extra, right? extra, uh, read all extra, about extra, it. Read all about it, right? And then you see that in movies too, where it's like you know, war is broke, broke, and the kid goes, "Give me that!" Or the guy goes, "Give me that kid!" Gives him a nickel and finds out it's like it could be. <laughs> out by the exactly. end of the week or you know <laughs> mm. and then he goes running after the kid who's already on to the next street corner right? exactly so, yeah. yeah it's almost yeah, like a giant can... con job yeah well yeah you can only trust the newspaper the old-timey newspapers if they're spinning really fast first yeah 
That's how you know it's real. <laughs> you got to grab it. Well, it's still spinning just in case. Right. Which I have to admit, reading that really, I mean, as someone who was into like uh, paranormal stuff and like UFOs and stuff like that, after I read that, I was thinking to myself, wow, so wait a moment. Even though, because we tend to think of, well, you know, old papers, they must have been telling the truth, right? There's no way people would make up stories about, like, giant airships floating over farmers' fields, like, and it was with, like, weird people inside looking down at the farmers. There's no way yeah. that could be fake. Yeah, that's mm. a good point. Good or point. or even, like, weird, you know, mountain men encountering, um, like, some weird hairy guy up in the hills. It's like, oh, there's no way that could be fake either. Oh, wait. You're talking about, you're talking about Jocko. Well, yeah, there was jo- yeah, there's the legend this, Jocko. That would be the, the one that was hit by the train, wasn't train. it? Train. That's yeah. the one who was hit by hmm. the train, supposedly. Yeah. Right? And then they so, yeah. tried to bring him back, and he uh, escaped or something like that, or he disappeared. Right. I don't remember which. But oh, uh, there were a lot many stories about Jocko. Yeah. Um, but, but that's my point, is that, so wow, these old stories were about as reliable as um, Joe's blog, basically. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> or, or or bat boy in the national Enquirer. Mm-hmm. yeah and that's the thing you, you can't well the pr- let's to be fair the truth is you can't tell yeah and that's that's yeah. the dam of it all it could very well be true mm-hmm. but there is no way to tell and this is the problem is that back in the day um when they were doing all this stuff they didn't have the same level of ombudsman this is where I mean it goes in and out of of cycles, and I know mm-hmm. Don has a has a has a thought that the cycle that we will go into is even worse than the cycle that we're in right now. But it'll and and I'd like to hear about that. But I think there was a there was a cycle like if you listen to Dan Carlin talk mm-hmm. about uh, lovingly his time at uh, was it CBS in the eighties yeah. and LA, the yeah. old timers there who uh, you know really really knew their stuff when it came to news and really wanted to do the best when it came to the story. Um, they, they were an entirely that I think th- those kind of got driven up because of very sort of very famous news people who were thought to be incorruptible. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, like, I forget some of the names of the main journalists uh, back in the forties. Like Edward R. Murrow. Edward R. Murrow is the main one. Walter Cronkite came a little later, but you know, Murrow was was famous in the in the radio, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then Cronkite was was the person you could trust, and so trust yeah. became the main function. And if they could prove that your trust you weren't trustworthy, well, then you ended up being like Dan Rather, right? <laughs> and yeah. but now Dan Rather wouldn't have lost his job if it happened now. Maybe. It would have been just you know they just would have been. Uh, Oh, you know, it was, a, it was it was too bad, but uh, you don't expect me to look this stuff up, which is one of the things that he complains about. He's just like, well, if if I've gotten anything wrong, then why don't you tell me what I've gotten wrong? I'm not supposed to do your job for you. This is you're <laughs> exactly. supposed to be the one that's getting it right. But that's not what they're taught now. Right. The top the, the, it's, yep. it's the onus is on the person that it's being told about. So prove to me, Rob, that you're not beating your wife right now. You know, like it just. That's an old-fashioned joke, by the way, you know, where they say, you know, how long have you been beating your wife? You know, there's yeah. obviously, the person can't argue it because, wait a minute, I'm not even beating in the first place. That wasn't the question, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of those uh, trick questions. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, journalists have been at it for a very long time. And I do think it does go in cycles. 
But what mm -hmm. I find fascinating is the whole idea that it goes into that from the yellow journalism, eventually people got sick of that. And so they went to subscription journalism where they were actually right. willing to pay for trustworthy news because people just mm -hmm. said, you know, I just can't trust this crap anymore. And I find that fascinating because I think we're going through the same cycle. And yep. ironically enough, I think it's all thanks to Donald Trump. Yeah. Because basically people were had pretty much given up on paying for the New York Times or for, you know, name your paper, The Guardian, whatever. And then mm -hmm. suddenly those became the great bastions of the war against like uh, the alt-right and Trump and everything. And suddenly people were paying for it. Like I've read, I don't have the stats on me, but I know their subscriptions went through the roof. Like really within months of Trump getting elected, the New York Times, the Guardian, all those papers. That's why paywalls suddenly pop back up on all the major papers because they realize oh, they kidding. can make money again. Wow. Thank you, Donald Trump. I mean, uh... no, Donald <laughs> Trump has done more things for journalism, believe it or not, than uh, like under one could make a very good argument that under the Obama administration and to an even degree under the Bush administration, journalism had kind of they'd gone to sleep. They were just kind yes. of like just parroting whatever the White House told them. And they were, yes, Absolutely. yes, okay, yeah, 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 whatever. Especially if it yep. was their boy in charge. And even if it wasn't, they were still pretty sleepy because they wanted access, right? Yep. Everyone hates Trump. They they hate him so much they had to actually close down the press briefings. Now, wasn't it the, the head of CBS who said basically to his shareholders that Trump is good business? Trump has been the best business for media and for late night talk show hosts. Oh my God, sure. Colbert pretty much owes his career to Trump at this point. <laughs> yeah, he, he says how much he hates him and the whole bit. To, but, but he was he was dying in the uh, late night talk show uh, numbers before Trump yeah, was he elected. Was. And then yep. when he came, he, well, he's just so clever that he was he was he was the he was the best to be able to come back and and come up with some pretty cutting. Uh, sarcasm or satire i want to yeah, say sat satire. Well, satire but that's the thing right if you watch colbert because they put his uh monologues up on youtube each day so i would watch yes them. me too i got a little tired of them though because literally all they are is one anti-trump rant after another right it's like a sarcastic there's some good jokes and there's some of them are pretty funny but yep. there's a certain point where it's like he doesn't talk about anything else he that's pretty right. much just talks about trump it's like and how much he's been mm -hmm. drinking because of trump that exactly. becomes a regular thing as well. Yeah. Exactly. No, you're but, absolutely no, right. Trump now, has now, done incredible things. He's And I think he's pushed us over into the subscription model again. Right. Yeah, but I, right. I think hmm? I think you're kind of misinterpreting the, the underlying process, though. Okay. Uh, because what, what ends up happening is I don't think that you're seeing, like, say, American journalism having a new golden age. Mm -hmm. uh, because of that, I think what you're seeing is it took off and it became like a payable thing because there's an audience of people who do not like Trump. Yep. So if you're critiquing him, whether, you know, fair or foul, and, and I think he's probably the most ironic president ever. And a lot of what he does, if not actually bad, just looks really bad. Mm -hmm. I think you're still getting... It's 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 not sensationalism in the form of they're making all the frogs gay. It's a weird kind of it's the counterculture now, except it's taking off because there's enough of it that it becomes the the culture. Mm -hmm. 
because you also see a doubling down on the other side. I, I, and this is the I was going to say the mm-hmm. right wing papers also saw huge subscription numbers go up too. Yeah, well, the the the, the media anything because when, when you get so and and there's another example from ten years ago that kind of fits in in too. The idea is that once Trump got in, he's either a madman who's going to destroy the nation or he's the great savior that's going to pull us out of the sewer. And because of that, because of of that kind of dichotomy that nobody's like, no, 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 he's got a weird haircut. What do I care? Nobody says that. You never hear that. Mm -hmm. It prioritizes the news in general. It makes the news in general uh, a commodity because we need to feel informed because these are the most important times in the whole history of the human race. And I have to be informed so I can do my part and tweet. I like this or whatever it is your dumbass is doing. Right. But that's the feeling. And that's why you're kind of seeing this boom in news in general, just because the, the idea of, of, of like a Trump mm-hmm. and the threat or promise that he provides adds a bit of urgency to real life. And then it makes real life interesting again. And then that's why you're seeing this. It's, it's, it's not necessarily that, it's helping journalism overall. It makes the other side a little more profitable, but I think you're still seeing a lot of the old problems. And I think because it's an internet subscription model, you'll see them worsening because if you go back to, like you said, the, 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 the yellow journalism, the, the mm-hmm. early days of the paper, at least as we'd understand it, you did see the subscription model which was uh, them wanting to consolidate an audience. And you saw a rise in journalism because a subscribing audience is essentially a captive one. Mm -hmm. We can now get more in depth. And that used to be what they would sell. Remember at that time, what's also happening is radio. Yeah. And radio is more immediate. It engages more uh, senses and it's more titillating. Uh, Actually, Don, I, I apologize, but you're a little bit off. Um, okay. I don't mean to, uh, as someone who teaches media history, um, the time when the subscription press came in was the turn of the century. It was basically around like 1903, whatever. Yeah, okay? the turn turn of the last century. Yeah, turn of the last sorry, turn of the last century. Good point. Thanks for the correction. Um, <laughs> but because we're old, <laughs> exactly. Um, but radio itself wouldn't have its heyday for another 20 years. Like there was a good yeah, 20 right. years there where there was still only really the Actually, press. Even- even more than that, that really we keep thinking that it's the twenties, but it's actually the forties and the fifties, which is the golden age of radio drama. It's at late thirties is when they really start going, but uh, in the twenties, it's an experimental. You know, if you think about podcasts, the first couple of years, that's where mm-hmm. radio was. So, yep, exactly. Well, um, yeah, it, well, the thirties is kind of when it when it it becomes a thing. I would say, right? Yeah. And sure. one would argue that the great age of journalism is the twenties and the thirties. Mm-hmm. It is. It is, and what I'm going to 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 not necessarily re, rebut because I think you're you're technically right, oh, but I think I what you're what you're looking at is it's that technological advancement to immediacy. Things that, are becoming more immediate, but they're in an odd state at that point. Uh, anyway, finish your point. Sorry, I'll then I'll oh, rebut. Yeah, because it's it's that idea that radio is ascendant. But given the nature of technological dispersal and and expense in that, mm-hmm. it takes like ten years for radio to become, I guess you'd say, the major media for for the for North America. Right. But it's because 
of the nature of technology at the time, it takes that long for it to establish. Because when you get a few few years later, television attains a level of, um, I guess, audience penetration comparable in less time. And then cable comes off of that. And then when the internet happens, you get that sort of thing happening almost literally overnight. Right. Well, this well, is, I, th- I think you're right in on the radio, respect. though. Yeah, I think it, it is, was... but it's. It... Mm-hmm. Go. Oh. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I oh, no, was go just going to say that, um, yeah, the because radio itself, it, it like each thing is building on, on the thing that came before it. And that's something we talk about in my classes where, yeah, each each type of media is being boosted by the one that came before it. So radio officially starts as the, with the first radio station in the United States in 1921. Okay. And yes, it takes about 10 years because what basically happens is radio comes out and people go nuts for it once they realize the potential. And there's this huge explosion of radio and etc. And then we get the great age of radio, but Jack's right. It takes to about the 1930 before it's common culture. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we see the same thing happen with television in 19, uh, the 1940s, although even though they actually have television by the early 1940s, it doesn't take off until after the war because of uh, various limitations and, and resources is the main problem. And then so right. TV is considered to start, quote unquote, in 1948. Okay. And mm-hmm. but then it gets millions and millions of subscribers within just a few years. And right. that's because radio had already paved the way. In fact, they, they would literally describe the early TV broadcasts as being radioed to your home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what, what, you're, what you're seeing is all of the media mm-hmm. is providing the same thing. Yes. It's, it's providing yes. a little information, a little bit of shock, a lot of outrage, and tons of cheap yucks. And each permutation is a new i guess a new quicker faster more efficient way of getting the same old shit to you the audience that's true and that's why and that's why you're seeing that and this is why i say radio takes off above the papers mm-hmm. because again it's more immediate yep it engages more senses it's it's easier to digest yeah. and then around that same time the papers start doing this oh but we've got the facts dun dun because it's a marketing thing mm. right that it and and again it's not that idea and and this is where uh, i think people get the wrong idea about a lot of stuff mm-hmm. the media in any form exists only to make you partake of more of the media it it doesn't exist specifically to push an agenda it doesn't exist specifically to inform the people and make them better citizens it's there to make you consume more of it well, yes, because it's a commercial product. Okay, I could agree with that. Yep. And even even when it's not a commercial product, exactly, mm-hmm. it's there to make you consume more of it. Like that's that's what it exists for. It's it's the same idea with people whining about corporations not acting in a moral manner. They can't. They don't have that capacity. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not because they're evil. It's it's they don't have that capacity. It's the same thing with the media. It exists only to make you consume more and. If it does that with lies, it'll lie to you. If it does that with facts, it'll facts will facts will be what it pushes. Mm-hmm. And again, it's that cycle. And you usually see at some point the rah rah we're good for you happening at one of these technological turns. Right. 
because it's the quote unquote old media trying to stay relevant in the face of the new media, which is basically just the thing that's faster and easier to digest. Okay, fair enough. Um, but we did just see a shift, as I was saying earlier, where we're suddenly shifting back to unmodified form of the old media with, you know, the traditional newspapers are suddenly relevant again. They, they We've are just gone a... from blogs, you know, the crappy yellow press to the, you know, subscribed old media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but they amount kind of the same. It's just the idea that the established old media has more resources to put a stranglehold on the information. Mm -hmm. And they found a way to monetize it a lot better than blogs were. Because if you think the earliest days of the internet, one of the reasons you couldn't really monetize a blog was because we didn't have the capacity for micropayments. That's true. And that's actually still one of the great problems of the internet. If we actually just had a system for micropayments, the internet could actually be a much more interesting place. Or much worse, I'm not sure. That's why, yeah, interesting, we'll do. Mm. Well, we, we do now. Like, that was one of the big, uh, big uh, I guess, I don't want steps. I won't mm-hmm. say forward or backward. Right. But when PayPal was established, right. mostly specifically for ebay but it meant that i could use like a credit card and do an electric transfer right with for something that was two bucks right and up until then that was kind of a big deal because a lot of places the service fees would be more would be more yeah and if i'm trying to monetize a blog i could sell you like say a year's subscription for 30 bucks and that maybe at the time would have made the electronic transfer worth it right or People probably don't remember early like pay sites. You could send them checks and money orders mm-hmm. like that. That seems funny now, but it was because we couldn't electronically efficiently handle small amounts of, of cash. Right. Right. And nobody's going to spend like 30 bucks for a year's worth of your blog that might disappear tomorrow. And I might just lose interest in. But yep. what what you're kind of seeing again is the old media making that transition mm-hmm. and they're they're they found a way to to more efficiently make money doing it but i still have to wonder how much uh because people hate paying for things on the internet well and are they don't if they they're willing to do it if it's convenient like i'll give you an example yeah i'll give you a good example um I was doing research for my book on web novels that I published recently. And uh, one of the things I was looking at was the Korean websites. And there's a site in Korea called Naver, which is basically the Korean version of Yahoo. Okay. Where you, it's a giant portal basically, except that there Yahoo didn't fade into irrelevance. Naver is still massive. Like it's this massive site. It like combines social media and shopping and everything under one roof. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they were very smart about is they created Naver uh, credits or points or whatever. So you can convert real money into Naver money. Now you might wonder, why would you do this? Well, the answer is so you can do micropayments for things. Mm-hmm. Okay. And one of the statistics I came across that was fascinating to me was that people are writing these online, you know, fiction stories, you know, for fun or for whatever, for whatever reason, on, for the internet, they're writing their adventure serials, their romances, whatever. Okay. But an average of, and this is true, 51% of Korean internet online writers get paid for their work. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 51%. You have to realize the number here is probably closer to 5%. But 
but they got like four or three. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, for sure. Or something like that. 51% of them. Now, I'm not saying they make their money from it. I'm saying right. that they have actually managed to make a profit from writing their stories online. Mm-hmm. And this is one well, of the reasons why they have a huge story, especially webcomic industry. In fact, theirs is one of the largest webcomic industries in Asia, if not the largest in Korea. Why? Because they can actually make money doing it. They can. Well, act- here, here's the proof. All because of micropayments. The, yeah, here's mm-hmm. the proof that people will pay money iTunes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. right? So people people could still effectively go and and download uh, free, you know, through torrenting all the music that they want. They don't like some people do, mm-hmm. but many people pay because it's cheap and it's it's convenient. Yep. And convenience mm-hmm. is so much easier than having to learn how to like. Okay, so I have to get what browser now to make sure that my my IP isn't tracked, and I have to get some kind of way to block it and like hide my ip and then i have to download this software and i have to figure out what a torrent is and i'll I'll just 99 cents i'll buy the song jesus murphy you know what i mean that's what people end (laughs) up coming to so and and yeah exactly but can you imagine what our system would be like if it was like korea there where you could just have little micro payments where you can literally give that person like 10 cents for the if oh that was a nice story here's 10 cents or 10 cents for your song or something like that which can add up really quickly when you have 40 million people using the system um yeah and that would mean that we'd be able to have system that isn't dependent on advertising which is the flaw with uh, our system, which is what Ryan is basically pointing out in the book, is that because our system is so dependent on advertising and eyeballs and clicks that it distorts everything. Yeah, not right. that a micropayment system is perfect. It's not. But at least if you have good content, people are like, yeah, I'll give this person a little money for a- after they've you know, enjoyed your content. They give you a thank you because they want you to keep doing it, basically. Whereas mm-hmm. it's still it, it's still in our system too inconvenient to do that. Like, well, I know, let me just finish, Don, sorry. Okay. The, um, a couple of the fan sites for web fiction, uh, mostly translated stuff, have uh, tipping systems where people can um, donate, basically. They call them, it's, it's a donation system, as they call it, where you can donate to maybe get chap- faster chapters of stories, that kind of thing. And they tried that system, and they found it works fairly well, but only about maybe 5% of the readers are actually donating. Now, that right. 5%, if you have enough people doing it, can actually be a fair amount of money. For but sure. still, the best they can only get is about maybe 5% or so. It doesn't really work that well because people are too used to getting it for free. Sorry, Don, right. continue. Well, you're, you're hitting on it. That's part of the problem of uh, being the, the first nation with the internet, I guess. Mm. Is And you guys probably remember... When the internet first happened, like the early '90s, that mm-hmm. was the the whole thing, right? Information wants to be free, man. It's going to get out there, and you can't stop it. And other countries, like for instance Korea, because to get their national internet up and rolling took a little longer. I think that's why you're seeing overseas a lot of places found better ways to monetize yep. stuff because the idea being, if I was you know a, a young sci-fi fan in Korea. Mm-hmm. I could go to the 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 American part of the internet and get all of the free science fiction I want in a language I can't read, or I shell out a couple of cents and I can get something to read here. Mm-hmm. And what you're looking at is is it's it, it becomes a cultural thing, yeah. Just because we were so used to the internet being the free thing where you could rip off whatever you want, yeah. 
and because other places were a little slower, they managed to tamp that down before they got rocking and rolling. It does depend on the country. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Japan, for example, is more like us. They actually, yeah. in Japan, they haven't really managed to figure out how to make the internet pay. In fact, that's one of the things that's messing up their comic industry right now. They're trying. They're yeah. just trying to expand online now to try to take advantage of that, but they're so far behind that they're running into problems and they haven't really managed to make it work. It was ironically um, Korea and China, actually, that managed to make it work much better. Mm-hmm. Partly because they, again, as you said, they were able to look at the Western uh, non-Chinese or non-Korean countries and basically say, well, here's what they did. Here's their mistakes. Let's not do that. Yeah. Yeah, that and up until like a decade ago, if you look at somewhere like Japan is weird because they're like 10 years in the future from us. But their mindset is 50 years back because I know up until maybe less than a decade, Mm -hmm. when you talk, say, the Japanese comic industry, it was still all based on publishing. It was based on physical, actual paper books. And everybody seemed cool with that. Like the idea of why would I look at a comic book on my computer? That's just silly. You buy them. You read them. They go on a bookshelf. Yeah, exactly. Well, again, that comes back to one simple thing, which is the Japanese internet providers were even worse than the Canadian ones for being super god massively <laughs> expensive. They basically, and this, it's hard to beat the Canadian ones. Thanks, Rogers. Um, and Bell. Um, it, if you're not a Canadian, yeah, you're lucky. Uh, anyway, so the point is, is that um, anyway, the Japanese ones charged by the minute. To be on the internet. And they did that for God knows how long. Well, actually, technically, if you were using the phone line, so you had to pay by the minute for your phone line, and then you had to pay by the minute for your internet connection as well, on top of that phone line. So this meant that only hardcore geeks were on the internet well up until the 2000s. Right. And that really screwed them up. The only way you could access the internet, and this is how people did it, was through their phone. Because most phones came with like these cheap internet plans with them that you paid one price and it was relatively easy. So you could read all the stuff you wanted on your little flip phone. And so Hmm. that's how Japanese accessed the internet for a long time, actually, even since like the 2000s. Because the home connection was just too expensive. So you used your phone. Wow. And this put them horribly behind in terms of internet development and technology when they should be way ahead of us. They're actually way behind us in some ways. Wow. And they're just catching up now because they realized, oops, that was kind of a bad idea, but too late. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Korea basically said, you know, the country with the fastest internet just wins. Okay, let's give, put fiber optic everywhere. And they did. <laughs> and it's not that big a country, right? And then let's make it super, super cheap. And so they did. Because it's not big, that big a country. Well, 40 million or so. And so they literally put everything in their future into the internet because they said this is the future. And they right. were kind of right. So, hmm. yeah, they had home gigabit speeds like a decade or so ago. Whereas, like, we don't even have that now. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Korea is amazing. That's why it's the also the internet gaming capital of the planet, too. Because you can do that when you've got like zero lag between you and anyone else in Korea. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, but it allowed them to focus on internet capitalism and do all this stuff. And just now, uh, to finish my little story, I guess, um, 
our websites, our fiction sites like Wattpad and uh, what is it, Tapas and Radish, and there's a few others, are just starting to catch up and to try that kind of stuff. But ironically enough, they're all still basing their payment plans on sharing um, clicks, basically, on sharing advertising revenue. Because yeah. they're not willing to try for the micro credit thing, most of them. They're they're basically saying, yeah, if you're a popular enough author on our site, we will start sharing our um, your. We'll give you half the advertising revenue your stories make as a way to keep you from taking your stories down and publishing them elsewhere, and basically being loyal to us, etc. And uh, that's kind of what they're experimenting with right now. And I say experimenting because they accepted so many people, and then they shut the whole uh, admissions down for a little while because there's. God numbers, because there's God massive numbers of people on Wattpad. And I mean, there have been sites like Patreon that have actually tried to pull off the micropayment thing and they've done a better job at it. But even Patreon hasn't really worked out that well. People are just too used to giving, people are just too used to getting their shit for free. Yeah. Right. Anyway, sorry for the tangent. Um, I just want to, <laughs> Jack brought up mar- micropayments, and that's kind of a bugbear of mine because I think micropayments really could have just been a game changer, but we've never quite managed to make the win, partly because of credit card companies. Um, sorry, make yeah. them work, not win. But whatever. I guess both of them work. <laughs> anyway, all right. So let's talk about how some of the ways that uh, that Ryan and friends actually uh, managed to manipulate the media. So we can talk. We, we already talked about the trading up thing. Let's take a look at a few of the other examples. And talk about if some of these are true, because Ryan wrote the book in 2012. And so there's a few things that I do kind of think about as I as I was reading the book. Like, for example, um, about blogs trading the news. Okay, well, that's, you know, everything coming from blogs. But I would argue now a lot of things come from Twitter and social media. They don't really come from blogs so much anymore, as Jack was just demonstrating earlier. You trade right. up the chain, but it's, it's not even a, an actual uh, blog post half the time anymore. It's often just a tweet. Mm-hmm. And all right, so let's look at some of his tactics. The first was, of course, the art of the bribe, as he calls it a mm-hmm. tactic, which is exactly what you'd expect. I mean, the thing is, these low-level bloggers who are making almost no money, if you give them a bribe in any way, shape, or form, they're happy to take it. Yeah. Right. So why shouldn't they carry your content? But he was also saying the bribe is not really money. In fact, it's better not to be money. Like, it, 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 it's better to uh, bribe them a better way because most bloggers and this is one mm-hmm. of the things he was talking about they're they're never making money from their blogs they're trying to make notoriety to go to the next gig right Something so if you can help pay. them get yeah. up the chain mm. uh because then he, he remember he named off somebody who basically spent you know a stint here and then spent a bit of time magazine and then spent a bit, you know they were just moving from one place to another before they're found out as crappy basically as far as <laughs> i can figure out right that's pretty much so it, yeah. And and so it's fascinating to see um, how uh, he he was saying it's actually easier not to to you know to to do it through money, but actually to, to through favors in one way or another. I'll throw you another bone if you take this one or something. You know, I'll exactly you'll be the you go to. And some of the people he would send stuff to the the people would come back and say, make sure you get an uh, like in the future get a uh, an anonymous account because uh, they can trace back to where you work. And he's like. They don't even care where it comes from. Like my email doesn't matter to them. They right, really yeah. doesn't matter. So, yeah, he could be mailing to them from at I'm lying to you dot com, and they really <laughs> would just ignore it. That's right. From the offices of the Kremlin. 
Exactly. Like it wouldn't matter. <laughs> wouldn't matter. It, it really wouldn't because they, in the end, they would never check anything, right? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, because they can't. You don't have the. Time. Well, they don't have the time. That's yeah, the exactly thing. right. And so all we have to do is start something in a small paper about how Jack Ward's Sonic Society is changing um, Canadians' lives. Mm-hmm. And that, that's too positive. That's too oh, you're positive. right. That's true. So, okay, so what we'd have to do? Here's my thing that I thought about because, um, you know, I have the Mutual Audio Network, right? Yeah. And I'm not going to out somebody about this, but you know, there's this one uh, person in the audio drama community, and uh, she she wanted to do stuff, and we've been doing so. And she's we're very friendly and stuff like that. And I said, well, would you like to do some some intros? A lot of people are doing sort of the intros of each day kind of thing, and I know you were interested in that. She's like, well. I really don't feel comfortable doing it anymore. I said, why not? She goes, well, your acronym of the Mutual Audio Network spells man. And in today's society, we really shouldn't have a company that that that's, that the acronym is spelled man. And I just sat there and I stared at the screen. I'm like, are you kidding? Because the Mutual Audio Network was literally a reference to the mutual broadcasting yeah. system. Now, she's mm-hmm. from England. She wouldn't know that. But she just she just looked through it. And I never call it man. Right, I I don't even think about it. I just call it mutual audio or call it mutual, uh, right, just yeah. as a short form. I never call it man. So, um, what you want to have if you want to create some kind of you know, uh, spark is like, um, did Jack Ward call the mutual audio network man for a reason? Exactly. Right. Or does the mutual audio network, aka man, have a woman problem? Oh yeah, there we go. That would definitely See, do it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I just suddenly realized you are the man. Congratulations. Right. <laughs> of course, you're, you're missing the obvious one because you don't even have to crouch it in the weaselly question mark. You could just put up a headline, Jack Ward makes women uncomfortable. <laughs> exactly. Very yeah, you're right. That way. That's right. That's right. You know, uh, Jack Ward's... But the thing is, who's Jack Ward? You'd have to say the Mutual Audio Network makes women uncomfortable or is an all-man's all group or something like that for that reason. Which, of course, it isn't, right? We we have we have women in the group as well doing stuff, but it's it it makes for a really a really salacious thing to say for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, that's wow. I I had never thought of that. The fact that it's like that it spells man. Wow, that's that's interesting. Neither had I. <laughs> so, not that I think I would have changed it anyway, because that would I I obviously I'm I'm not prone to that so here's here's the, the biggest problem because i'm listening to all these different endpoints and you're going through it and i'm thinking would i utilize any of these tactics and the mm-hmm. truth of the matter is is i i really don't think i could because in the end he points out it does bite you in the back eventually you're going to destroy your reputation and yourself and and uh you, you'll be persona non grata right so there's a reason why scott adams doesn't post anymore Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? It's it's because it's because it's basically destroyed that ability. He thought he was being quirky. He thought he was throwing stuff into the mix. He had a really good comment about how many different holes he da- dug, and some would bring up oil, and some would like cause fire or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right, and yeah. so, th- and if you're willing to do that, that's great. Except for when you you know you you dig up that hole and the entire continental shelf disappears because suddenly everybody is angry over something and i've had people we've all had people get angry for absolutely no reason whatsoever right. um and just like lose their mind i rem- i don't know if you remember but um 
College Humor had this video called uh, Racism Light. Mm-hmm. You seen that video? Sounds familiar. Uh, hyperlink a long time here. Ago. So um, <laughs> I had this student, and and it, it, the truth of the matter, she never was my student. But uh, when she she was in my school, and when she graduated, she asked if I would help her out. She was taking her English degree, and I said sure. And so through Facebook, she would send me something to look over, and I'd go, oh, I'd fix this or I'd fix that. So I was just trying to be helpful. And then I posted the racism light video. So the racism light was literally making fun of people who would think that, you know, you could get away with something that was still racist, but it was kind of like racism light, right? Mm-hmm. So as they were kind of making a joke about how ridiculous it is to have it, it's still racism. It still comes across as that. Mm-hmm. She entirely mistook it and mm-hmm. thought that I was thinking that racism was okay, as long as it mm-hmm. was racism right, light, and mm-hmm. was was going to go and talk to my principal and and see about getting me fired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, this kind of thing does happen. Now, uh, oh, yeah. I, I I was lucky enough to have people who knew her to sort of talk her down and say, no, 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 you, you, you totally misunderstood and it's fine. And it was okay. But it's amazing how quickly somebody who does not pay attention. And I, and I was thinking, you know, if she was my student, she would have understood what satire was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, w- I would have made sure that was something in her in her bailiwick before she graduated from school. But um, she obviously didn't catch that, catch that it was satire in that respect. So, oh, yeah. No, it's scary. It, it is scary. And but and that goes back to um, that goes back to one of the ideas that Ryan talks about, actually, the idea that if it makes people angry, it spreads. Yes. Anger is the number one thing that makes something viral. Yes. Not happiness. Not even humor. Not even humor. No. That's right. Anger. Humor is like the next best, but yep. anger is the first one because it's so immediate and it colors over everything. Yep. You really don't need to go beyond that first line. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and then you're like, "Are you kidding? I'm go- I'm I'm going to pass this everywhere." And remember, for a while, people would sit there and they go, they would send that person the actual link saying, "This is garbage," and the whole person, the person would go, "Oh, you caught me. You know, yeah, it was yeah. fake." Kind mm-hmm. of, nowadays they wouldn't do that they would just double down yeah yeah there's <laughs> a there's a good video about that it's uh it's called this video will make you angry and it talks about how why rage spreads so quickly mm-hmm. uh because it's interesting what you guys are hitting at now there's a thing that that uh ryan holiday doesn't talk about in the book and it doesn't come up very much there's an idea that there's no such thing as bad press. And it's true, even in like, you know, the, the, the era of absolute outrage, depending on what you're trying to do. So mm-hmm. if you're producing a work and your work is what's important, like your stories or your books or your audio dramas or whatever you're doing, and you get like accused of some horrible thing, like you're actually working with the reptilians that can be a career ender, but if you're looking to build yourself up, and this is where I think a lot of old media folks don't understand them newfangled, like, internet influencer overnight sensation types. Mm. If you're looking to build up your personal brand, no, any kind of controversy is great because you can turn you can turn right into it and make a career of that. Right. Like we've had we've had tons of people make careers out of fail you know they make careers out of being idiots and losers if you're willing to do that if if what you're trying to sell is you so 
after we find out, is Jack Ward racist? And that gets out there. And say you did get fired, Nat. If you were the kind of person, I believe the technical term is attention whore, Mm -hmm. that wanted to, you could take that firing and spin that into a career. Because then it's, it's obviously not that, you know, you were fired. This is part of the lizard people Tom Hanks wore on Manly Christmas. Mm -hmm. And you're another victim of the outrage machine. And... People will flock to, and you could build up that whole brand. And then if that gets deflated, you could build up one another way. And that's, that's one of the problems that you're seeing uh, internet celebrities are. And I think this is why you can get away with the stuff he mentions in the book, because people think if I see a public figure, mm. if like, if I, I see somebody on a screen, well, they must be like trustworthy and and that otherwise they wouldn't let them have screen time. Right. Not realizing that on the internet, any idiot can have screen time. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're listening to this podcast right now. (laughs) Ha ha. Exactly. And we conflagrate stuff. So you start thinking that a quote unquote influencer is actually some person of wit and insight and has like connections and integrity and is a skilled journal. And they're not, they're just some asshole with a webcam. No, they're a but, very hot young girl with cleavage and a webcam. <laughs> oh, no, that's just one thing. There's plenty of people who make a career out of being ugly. That's true. Because there are it some. gets a tent. It's just whatever gets a tent. If you're a weirdo, that gets a tent. PewDiePie is a freaky looking motherfucker. Like if, if he was walking towards me coming down the street, I would fully expect that he's going to now tell me how the government is stealing his thoughts through his shoes. That's very true. And that brings up an interesting point. I noticed uh, reading Ryan's book, and it might be because of, again, it was published originally in 2012. There is a new uh, updated version, which is the paperback version I have. But um, there is, it's not, it's just slightly revised. You know, he's added a little tiny bit of extra content. You know, it's the usual, it's revised, quote, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But anyway, um, Mm -hmm. still a great book, though, folks, I recommend um, one of the things he doesn't really talk about much is influencers. I noted that because I was thinking about this when he was talking about you know, the blog ecosystem and trading up and down, and I realized influencers are a parallel media ecosystem running mm-hmm. right next to that major blog one that he's talking about. The mm-hmm. rate, it, like At the same time, there's low-level bloggers. There's also low-level influencers. And some of them are being listened to by people that are one step above them in the food chain, who are listening, being listened to by one step above them in the food chain. Like the influencer system is running parallel to the uh, blogging system and the social media system, uh, you know, that exists. These systems are all running parallel to each other. And I found that fascinating. And I think it's, again, because he's a product of his time that he doesn't realize that yeah, you didn't have to bother with like low-level bloggers. You just have to get some you know, um, cute blonde with like 2,000 followers on YouTube or something like that to talk about your stuff, which is probably e- even easier, maybe just as easy as the low-level blogger. And suddenly you've got all the people who watch her are now talking about it, and it just quickly explodes up the chain like that. For sure. Yeah, because I think what you, when, when, when you look at what they, they now call influencers, mm-hmm. I think think that that's kind of the next derivation of the blogger because okay bloggers were bloggers were essentially just some arsehole giving you his opinion yeah. on the internet mm-hmm. influencers of what you get because we had another technological jump 
that didn't give us anything new, but gave us even more of what the internet gave us. And that was the cell phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because at least in the olden days, uh, if I was, was, was a, a blogger, the, the time crunch for me to put new stuff, it was, it was, it was killer. But people had to like go home or sit at a terminal or, or a coffee mm. shop to get their internet. Now you have it with you all the time, constantly, all the time, and people are always checking it, often in the middle of a fucking conversation, which makes me just want to stuff that little phone up your ass, but I digress. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you've got it's not it's beyond immediate, it's constant. And this is where you get like an influencer is like it's the derivation, it comes out of blogging, mm-hmm. but it's even more shallow. Because a blogger would at least have to have, like, a story. Right. And then come up with their own wimpy, whiny, stupid, dumbass opinion about that that story or, or event. Whereas influencers will quite often just be, here's my breakfast! Woo! Yeah. Because they have to. It's because of that technological jump. It's not just constant. It, it's immediate. It's 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 pre-immediate that mm. you have to be posting something almost every 10 minutes in order to, to like keep your audience. So it becomes even more quick, even more shallow, even more opinion based. It, and if I might add something, I know not too long ago, well, they, they do this on a regular basis. They, YouTube has been slowly tuning their algorithms and such. So if you don't literally post every day, you, you basically just drop off the list. Yeah, they they literally have created this treadmill of where you have to constantly be posting content, or else you will lose your rankings or or whatever else. Because a couple of people that I followed on YouTube were complaining about that, where they actually for for years they were literally making their money on YouTube, um, just you know just talking about shit as they like. I, I followed a couple of motorcycle vloggers who basically like drive around uh in the countryside they drive interesting places you look from their cell from their health you'd be able to see from their helmet camera which is a nice hd camera and they'll talk about shit and stuff and it's interesting some of it but they Mm -hmm. but literally overnight their income from youtube just disappeared one day because they were posting maybe like one video a week and then they discovered they had to start posting like one video a day if they wanted to actually still continue to get their old income. Wow. And it's literally just a treadmill. And eventually they all just kind of burnt out and basically said, yeah, if you want to keep getting videos from me, I need Patreon. Here's my Patreon. Here's my PayPal, etc. I need donations because, yeah, YouTube doesn't pay shit anymore. And a lot of them actually had – some of them had literally didn't even have other jobs. And they had to actually go back mm-hmm. and start doing other work. I know poor babies, but whatever. But be, this yeah. is because YouTube. Remember, YouTube is ultimately trying to figure out the best ways to get good, con- get uh, streamable content, and screw people out of the money they owe them. Those are YouTube's two goals, basically. Right, and that's the way they do it now. And and even that isn't new. Like uh, people don't realize that Google did the exact same thing, but in a weird, quaint, you know, last century sort of way. Because Google changed how search engines worked because they would prioritize, if I search for something like nose hair, they would prioritize based on the number of, of like, hits mm-hmm. a website was getting, how it comes up in my Google listing. Yes. What that basically meant was the more hits my site got, 
the quicker it, co- it would it would come up it would be closer to the to the top of the list yes which isn't a measure of quality or anything it's just a measure of this is what happened the stick in people's craw yeah exactly this is where people tend to go yeah the youtube thing is kind of a more focused slash weaponized version of that because mm-hmm. it's doing that same thing if i'm not constantly getting hits i.e i'm not constantly getting eyeballs for them mm-hmm. then i get shunted down the list and what that encourages is for me to get more eyeballs and then yep. that worsens all of the problems because then you get even shallower and shallower because it's a time crunch yep and in fact, there's a couple guys I know on YouTube, not personally, I mean guys that I've followed off and on, who literally what they do is they usually have about five or six YouTube videos a day. They, these are professionals, of course, this is their main thing. And what they do is they basically just grab uh, blog articles or newspaper articles and read them and comment on them mm-hmm. live right. on the air. So you can see them in the bottom corner of the screen. There's the picture of them and you're seeing their screen, which is usually them scrolling up to the article. And it's just them adding flavor and adding their own commentary to a news article. And they post five or six of these a day. Wow. And that's how they make their money. Yeah, it's crazy. Imagine a bunch of assholes sitting around commenting on a book or something. Just ridiculous. I know, right? Who reads books? (laughs) Um, Well, don't worry, dude. We're we're not going to make any money off this, so it doesn't really matter. Well, and that's and that in a lot of ways is what's liberating because mm. we've never had any pretense of that. Yep. So we can do whatever the hell we want because it, yeah, folks, we we don't make any money off this like zero zip nada. There's not even ads on our like homepage. When we send you to obeythedna.com to leave comments and notes and hate mail, which you should do, mm-hmm. we are not actually making any profit from it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. None. Nothing. The only profit we get is the knowledge that uh, some people actually did listen to us for a little while before they said, these guys are nuts, and then turned it off. <laughs> and it's a good opportunity to like get to talk to interesting people, because mm-hmm. it's amazing who will talk to you if you have like a podcast. <laughs> That's true. Although I'd say it's actually becoming tougher. Mm-hmm. I think because literally everybody and their brother, sister's cousin's dog has a podcast now. Yeah, true. Um, it's, it's, I guess it just became the way to get your message out there, but as an end result, it's becoming harder and harder to be found in the podcast ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, it's good that people are getting their messages out there, but I think that we've probably reached peak podcast at some point. Maybe we did a while ago. I don't know. And so now it's just, well, people with very small audiences kind of like youtube really most youtubers probably only have a a, maybe a dozen people watching their stuff at most we have a few more than a dozen but still it's uh it's not an impressive number and i think that that's partly because there's just so many other podcasts out there i mean although maybe if we did one a day maybe we might actually get more results but we just don't have time Well, see, that's why we've got Jack Ward locked in the basement, and we're going to have him <laughs> do a half-hour commentary every two hours. That is a brilliant plan. Oh, <laughs> I, I just, I just have to create all kinds of scandals and then counter scandals in between. You know, so one hour I would come out and say Don is fighting with Rob, and the next hour I would come out and say, "Well, Rob's made amends, but now he's fighting with Don," and <laughs> I just go back and forth. That's exactly right, um, and. <laughs> And then, and people will literally retweet it, and eventually it'll become a big media scandal, and we'll we'll actually get clicks. Yep, he actually, he talks about that in the book. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's another one of the ways you can do it. It's 
um, you can literally manufacture the news because they, they need it. I mean, let's face it, these sites, whether they're influencers or bloggers or whatever, they literally need daily content. So if there's not actual daily content, they have to make it. They were, he was talking about business insider of all things. Yeah. Like, so theoretically, and this is one of the things I have considered doing, and I've heard about this, is is creating press releases, like, at least weekly. I couldn't do it daily. But that's how, I mean, Microsoft did that for years. They would mm-hmm. they would create a press re- a series of press releases, like, not just one, like, dozens mm-hmm. of anything that they could. And then what would happen is regular newspapers would sit there and they go, Oh, I've got like two inches left on this thing. What it, what have people sent in? Oh, here's Microsoft thing. And then they would just put that on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that was when they needed to fill a newspaper. Now imagine that you need to have people checking your site constantly for new content. Well, what if this guy has just sent you a press release for, you know, this really, up, uh, what he says is an important podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's important in the audio drama community. And isn't that audio fiction thing, isn't that becoming new and hot? Yeah, Doesn't exactly. he mention in there "Welcome to Night Vale" and and "Serial"? Uh, yeah, I sh- we should get some eyes from that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, seriously, it's one of the things you consider doing. Yeah, it is absolutely, and it would make sense. The other thing he talks about is help help a reporter out or Haro, as he calls it, mm-hmm. um, which is literally a site where you can just go and register yourself as an expert. And then they will literally send out questions like, I'm doing a story on uh, garter snakes. Um, Who's an expert on garter snakes? And you can say, oh, I am. I, you know, I, you know, you, you put garter snakes on your expertise list. Yes, I know a lot about garter snakes. What, you know, and um, yeah, I uh, teach at uh, Stanford University. So what do you need to know? And he'll never check your credits and you can just tell him whatever you want. And the reporter will, gee, thanks. And they'll give you a credit. Yeah. Um, well, and he talks about how he would use that all the time. He would just have many accounts where he'd be experts in different fields. And then he would just be leaving. And of course, in the process, he would always make reference to stuff that promotes his brands that he was representing. Right. So, yeah. for example, if they need to know fashion, well, you know, we, American, you know, American Apparel has got this new fashion line, by the way, that uh, um, is uh, really hot right now with teenage girls. And they'd be like, really? Yeah, yeah, okay, thanks. Thanks, major fashionista person or fashionista person or whatever. I mean, and that's literally how it goes. And he was yeah. able to do that and and like plant his stories everywhere using Help a Reporter Out, mm-hmm. which is really scary. This, let, me, let me check right now. Help a Reporter Out. Oh, here it is. Yep. Does it still exist? Haro. Yes, it does. It really does, doesn't it? I'm a journalist. I'm a source. Okay. Media outlets using Haro, Reuters, Fox News, Chicago Tribune, Time, Mashable, Refinery29, New York Times, The Globe and Mail, Wall Street Journal, ABC. 800,000 plus sources, 55,000 plus journalists and bloggers, the most media opportunities. Oh, I think I'll become a source. Let's see yep. what what happens if I click on it, I'll become a source. Because I, <laughs> um, what should I become a, resor- a source in, guys? New media, of course. Oh, that sounds right. Okay, so all I have to do is register and then monitor source requests. Okay, I just need to check my inbox three times a day: five thirty-five, mm-hmm. uh, twelve thirty-five, and five fifty-three. Those are all Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday. Look out for 
source request relevant to you or your client's industry expertise or personal experience. And then mm-hmm. uh, I can also send the perfect pitch. Pitch the mass email address listed in the source request. Um, basically tell them what you think you know about this thing. Include answers to the journalist's questions, any specified requirements, and a bio with you of your client's contact information. If the journalist is interested, they'll reach out. And of course, Ryan did this with many, many accounts for him and the people who worked under him, pretending to be like tons of different people. And of course, none of them were ever checked. No. Well, you know why? No time. Well, not not just that, but when you go on Haro, and I hope Amuro knows what he's gotten up to. (laughs) I know, that's what I was thinking too. Gundam joke, half the audience doesn't get it. I didn't get it, so there you go. There we go. But does but ja- rem- does Jack oh. get all the jokes from the DNA group? <laughs> there's there's another line for you. <laughs> exactly. Well, we all know we, we, we all any know the, the answer is no to that one. So. Does he get any of the jokes? That sounds even worse, right? So. Does Jack Ward have a sense of humor? There you go. That's right. The answer is no. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> but it's that idea that a uh, that that. Haro mm-hmm. gets eyeballs by having like we have the biggest list of experts. So cutting people off from that list doesn't do them any good either. Yeah. No. Yeah, there's no there's no and it doesn't matter. You could literally just go in here and do that all you want. There's another site called Quora as well, which is that, more- I've been answering on Quora and it's been posting it on my Twitter thing. And it's it's basically the same thing, right? I put in my own credentials. Yep. As an audio drama guy or, yeah. you know, and from there, they just, you know, people will send you questions. Well, can you answer this one? And I just answer the ones I want to answer. Yes. And I'm surprised at how many people have asked me questions since then. Kind of. So. No, no, I believe it. I, I'm on Quora, but I'm not active. Like I haven't been answering questions or anything like that. I just, I just read them out of curiosity. And yeah, it's basically the same thing. I'm sure a bunch of journalists are probably using Quora as well for the same thing. Right. That's how Jordan Peterson got his start, by the way. It is. He did his. He did his. Uh, his book. People were asking, and and he just posted, you know, things for a good life or whatever, like twelve. That I forget what the, the twelve the steps name for a good life. Or twelve whatever, steps yeah. for a good life, and it was an earlier version that he just sort of threw up, kind of thing. And the next thing you know, uh, everybody was all thrilled about it, and they and and so they started asking him other questions because he is a knowledgeable guy in his area Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so and then he he just realized i could i could branch out from this because he was doing so well with the with people following his quora answers so here's the interesting thing though what you know something like quora it does depend upon the quality of your answer too in that right yeah right because so many people answer stuff that's crappy and yeah but i would oh sorry go ahead i was just saying nobody upvotes those it's if you're looking for an actual answer to something, you're looking for somebody to give you some details and something. Hmm. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a good answer. Like, oh, it may like, not be accurate, but I'm just mean it'll be well written. It's wisdom of crowd <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah, maybe because that yeah. again, it 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 goes with that idea that if you see something enough, you you think it must be true. So if you see a certain person keep popping up in all these things, they must be an episode. Otherwise, why would everybody go to them? It could just be that you happen to be saying what they want to hear. Sure. Like that, that's one of the problems you've get with modern journalism is that 
the quote-unquote experts are usually just some arsehole that said something somewhere somebody saw it that supports the point I'm trying to get across. No, I agree. I, I my, my argument was just that uh, as opposed to what the book tells you, you can get away with like spelling errors and everything like that. In in mm-hmm. Quora, they'll be looking for that because they're they're assuming you are an expert in something. So as long as you present well, mm-hmm. people will like it. It doesn't have to be accurate. It just has to be presented well. Right? Yeah, and, and that's like that's like that's worse. <laughs> it is in some ways. I mean, it's just like do you, does this guy dress up well in a, in a suit? You know, that's what it yeah. comes down to, right? So well, it's 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 that old thing. He's wearing a lab coat. He must be a doctor. You know, like, <laughs> that's right. That, that's yep. basically what it is. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Well, he can use periods and uh, commas. I guess he's an expert. That's right. He didn't spell his name wrong. All righty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's the way it goes. But yeah, sites like that are where people are getting their information from. And God knows how correct that information actually is. Mm-hmm. He, he also and... calls out Wikipedia too, right? So for yes, the same he does. thing. And mm-hmm. and Wikipedia, their biggest argument was that they were more correct than the actual printed encyclopedia at the time. They found there were less errors t- at time after time because of their editors. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. who are your editors? <laughs> I mean, you know, the editors are simply volunteer people. Why do they suddenly have some sort of godlike status of knowing what's right and what's wrong? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, so this exactly is the problem. Right. And, hmm? <laughs> Yep. It's like the citizen journalist thing. And this is the argument I had with my friend. He was like, oh, we're in the age of citizen journalists. I went, that's a very bad idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's like, we're in the age of the citizen policeman. Oh, we called those the lynching years. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it's just the suggestion that the, that the citizen can do better than a professional just because they're, well, they're the citizen. Of course, they'll do better than a professional. Doesn't really gazinta. Well, I mean, and there we go. And you could also be, um, I don't know. Uh, hey, citizen justice. How about that? Uh, <laughs> That's right. Well, we, 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 we have we, that right now. The amount of people who have put mm-hmm. up posts and, and memes about punching Nazis in the face. Yeah. Uh, even just recently, mm-hmm. I just sat there and people like people that I consider are liberal. I'm like, you can't be seriously suggesting that you people go up and punch somebody in the face. You mm-hmm. realize that's against the law. Well, they're Nazis. They deserve it. Um, look, I'm not. A, I'm. I'm not in any way, shape, or form supporting Nazis. Does Jack support Nazis? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I do. I do know that once you hit somebody, that's assault. Yes. <laughs> so you know, if somebody is a Nazi and, pro- and providing hate, that's where you call the cops and have them come and take him away. You don't take stuff into your own hands. And, mm-hmm. and and beat somebody up. But that's what people are talking about doing now. Like, it's just, it's stunning to me. Well, I mean, and we've got record numbers of mass shootings happening in the United States this year. Absolutely. And, and you, you have to wonder how many of those are actually encouraged or even caused by the internet and by right. the hyper-polarization among, um, you know, on the internet. It's like, well, fuck it, the world's going to die anyway. Um, might as well go out in a blaze of glory. And, yep. um, you know, and uh, who, who do I hate? Well, whoever whoever my favorite YouTube influencer tells me I hate. Oh, it's them. Yep. Okay, I better go. I, I tend to go kill those Martians. Yep. Yeah, because that gets at something that the, uh, the, the book doesn't hit on, that people don't hit on. And, mm-hmm. and that 
I don't think the audience is a passive mass. Mm-hmm. And I and and a lot of these techniques that he talks about using and these tricks and what we're discussing now about how it feels good, so that's why people are gonna no, he must be an expert. He's he he can he's got glasses on. That means he's smart, right? Yep. It's because that's what the 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 audience does. It's what they want. They're the ones making all of this happen. Mm, true. Because a lot a lot of these tricks, if you stop for a second and think about it, they fall apart. They don't work. Yeah. But people never do that. And then cognitive dissonance kicks in as soon as you point that out, and people double down mm-hmm. Be- because it's not about getting at the facts. It's about me feeling good about my opinion. Right. Mm. That's that's why the outrage thing works. And he mentioned it in the book. The best thing about something like outrage is you'll get more than one story out of it. Right. Yeah. So if I say something that pisses you guys off, well, that's one story. And then you guys get pissed off and get angry at me. Well, that's another story. And then you can keep spinning that in more. And that's, I think, is the big problem we have nowadays is, is that process that nobody's taking any input you can see that if you watch any kind of like political debate mm. there's no debate it's just people mouth farting platitudes at each other because nobody's listening or taking info in and we've gotten to the point we can insulate ourselves that if i don't want to think that what you're saying is correct in any way at all period there's plenty of places i can retreat to that are going to tell me yeah that guy he's just totally full of shit period mm. listen to me i'm 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 telling the truth cuz you like what i say already yeah it must be true right it's it sort of reminds me of hmm. two different things um that i think we 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 could have sort of caught this as a society as if, if we if we paid more attention to these two different times. One was George Bush talking about how, uh, and, and Colbert uh, lampooned him for this during the correspondence dinner, how he mm-hmm. didn't, he didn't come up with ideas from his brain. He trusted his gut. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that was one of them. And the other thing was, it's funny because both of them came originally from the daily show, John Stewart appearing on crossfire and mm-hmm. telling, uh, Tucker Carlson and the other guy, please stop. You're hurting America because yeah. all you're doing is giving one side and the other, and you're not informing anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and they were both on point as what's going on, but they didn't understand how systemic it is and how it's built into the system. Yeah. Cause it's, it's built into people like that idea of like, you know, following your gut. This is what you're looking at now is the negative side of human beings thinking in terms of story. Because mm. we've talked about that before, that one of the problems we have story-wise, which is this, it, it spills into the real world, is the hero is infallible. There's a big thing about that. The hero is the chosen one. They are the special. They are the, the one person that can get the job done. Mm. So everything they do because they're the good guy, is just good. We have a horrible, horrible habit of stories like that. And it bleeds into real life. So if you can paint yourself as the hero, as the leader, as the designated champion, then people will reverse engineer everything so everything you do is good. And then that's where that instinctive thing comes from. Thinking is bad. Thinking is like what Poindexter's doing. Thinking doesn't like get the lawn mowed or nothing. You know, it's about you know action. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... 
if I'm the hero, then my actions are always right. And that's why you'll see like leaders of anything always painting themselves as the hero and then having to paint anybody who questions them as the villain. Right. That's true. It's funny. Pink thinking didn't get the lawn mowed, but it made the lawn mower. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, and like, it's true, and and, it's and nobody nobody thinks about nobody that cares about that, right? Yeah, so, yeah, like we're not taught to look that that far like down the pike. I mean, it's it's like people I know who are, who are like, oh, I like science is boring and stupid and blah blah blah. As they're like on their fucking cell phone, where do you think that came from? The, Jesus? No, no, mm-hmm. idiots. And then I hate the human race a little bit more and pray for the Armageddon. But, you know, whatever. Right. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So I think then basically this all comes back to, after we've gone through this whole process, the idea is that once again, the media is a reflection of the audience. It's Mm -hmm. a mirror image. And it goes back and forth. And so as an end result, the media is crappiness and the media's short-sightedness and everything else is a reflection of the audience itself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so here's a final question since we should probably be wrapping this thing up is there any way to fix that (laughs) i can think of one but that doesn't involve armageddon or a or the end of the world six gems oh you you don't have to end the world just the human race (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, a- aliens could come and take us over and enslave us again. I'm saying yeah. again because because of the the joke of the of the lizard men, right? Yep, so. that's true. <laughs> but could we actually evolve out of this? Like, is there actual potential for us to, uh, in Roddenberry fashion, to actually kind of manage to pull ourselves together and realize, you know, this is kind of dumb. We should stop doing that. And well, did did you hear the mysterious universe uh, conspiracy where? This person writes a book and says effectively that people who are autistic mm-hmm. have been genetically engineered by aliens as to the next stage of human existence. So if if you have like um, you know Asperger's sim- sim- syndrome or something like that, um, you might have a better tendency to ignore the no- ignore the noise or at least filter it better huh. and sit there and say this is crap, right? Right. So theoretically, if it, let's let's take out the alien thing, but let's suggest that maybe that is a, a potentially good evolutionary exchange trait. Yeah, because yeah. we're getting more and more people with that trait mm-hmm. in society than we had in the past. It, that could be one of the things that's uh, that saves us is that we, well, we we get ourselves out of this sort of emotional roller coaster that way. Hmm. Yeah, but the problem with saying that comes out of something like uh like Asperger's or that is remember that filtering is is uh not exactly random, but it's not prioritized anyway. Right. Yeah. That's that true. if you if you if you have autism, you're just filtering out input. Like you're as likely to filter out the irritating pundit as you are the sound of a car rolling up on you, like kind of thing. Like mm. But you're not nearly as emotionally uh, gripped by by data that's brought in in the same way, right? Yeah, so but you, you tend you tend to to take data that's brought in as and 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 want to be able to analyze it more based upon uh, factual factual elements as opposed to um, whether or not it's 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 emotionally captivating you in the same way. 
Mm. And again, yeah. I, we're general generalizing, of course. Yes. Right. Yeah, because so. the the problem with something like say autism is that it's a wiring issue. That it's not that you're processing things unemotionally. It's that things that other people wouldn't care about are striking that chord with you. That you become focused intently on one thing but it's not necessarily something important or useful it's just it's this this one thing that for this moment in time is is completely important yep yep it's true because you know who does filter things out unemotionally and very efficiently machines sociopaths oh that's true that's true yeah Mm -hmm. so actually they're the next evolution in humankind one in 35 (laughs) One in thirty-five bum, bum, people are soci- are sociopathic, so to some degree. Like you're not yeah. Hannibal Lecter or nothing. Well, no, and the, well, the, here's the thing: is that <laughs> it doesn't mean that they wouldn't kill you. It just means that I mean it, that they wouldn't if they had the opportunity. Is that they recognize that the costs against them are far mm-hmm. more uh, of being caught and stuff like that, and they've just. They've just sat there and recognized it's not that they that they value your life anymore. It's right. just it's just they realize in today's society they're going to go to prison and that's a bad thing for them. Yeah, the downside of killing you is the downside of killing bigger you is not than worth it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just yeah, not worth for that it. reason. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a happy thought to end on. All right. So. Um, okay. So fine. Maybe we're not going to evolve out of this thing. Um, are we going to manage to, as we talked about earlier, then maybe to try to end on a more positive note, maybe we will through subscription that will end up in another good age of journalism. Maybe we'll end up, these things are cyclical. So maybe yes. we will come up to a new age of journalism where we'll be able to get even better information than we ever could before. Faster and more I think that's what aware. will happen. But here's the problem with that. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think that we could we could go back to the Edward, the Ed, Edward R. Murrow uh cronkite kind of days where we have people that we trust again in the noise but to do that means we get rid of all the access for everyone and we go back to these massive institutions that are the gatekeepers of all information yeah Yeah, that never goes bad and yeah Yeah. exactly so (laughs) so do you do do you really want the internet to go that way because that's what we're talking about is is removing you know, free access for the internet and keeping it all, you know, trafficked in various different roads. And suddenly you don't trust any of these other people. And so everything comes down to these three big, I'm going back to the day, three big networks in the United States and America mm. that takes care of all that stuff. Right. So, well, or three big data providers. Yeah. Um, we, that's what would it be nowadays, right? Yeah, exactly. Three we, data providers. We are very quickly heading towards something where different corporations become the source of your media and your facts. I mean, we're already there, but. Yeah. Oh, I just Disney, hmm? Time Warner, and who else? There'd be like the three News Disney, Corp. Time Warner, News Corp. Yeah. I don't, News Corp. I th- I don't know if Corp, because News Corp wasn't it, didn't they own Fox and they and they bought a Fox? Disney bought them out. I would say it'd be something no, more Disney like... didn't get News Corp. That was the part that they didn't get. Oh, okay. Because mm-hmm. that I, was, was News profitable. Corp isn't as... Yeah, is it really? I would say it'd be something more like Apple. Like some sort of Apple-Google... Amazon. Uh, Amazon kind of collaboration, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and you'd have like these old sort of media things that have just been swallowing up the new media. And then you'd have at least one of these new media that are swallowing up each other. Micro Apple, Maybe. <laughs> Apple Soft, 
<laughs> Apple delicious. Google Apple Google Soft. You. Because <laughs> I something like I, that. I think mm-hmm. yeah. I think you're on the right track, but I think what we're going to see happen is um, the idea of as we're getting inundated with more and more media and it comes faster and faster i think that's why people keep doubling down on specific shticks or hooks or conspiracy theories or whatever because that's your way of filtering it all out Mm -hmm. and i think what we're seeing now where it's going to end up is you guys are right that it's going to come down to a handful of like major corporations that control everything you see but they're not going to do it directly they'll just keep buying up all of these little things that keep popping up and the people that keep making their little tiny independent media will be looking because I've we've seen this happen, looking to sell out to the big guys for the for the paycheck. Absolutely. And you'll have the big companies controlling everything, but nobody realizing they are because they're they're not all all that's happening is they're it, it'll be like the Sinclair group. They're buying up your local news outlet, and you just happen to notice that there's a few more ads for certain specific products or pushing certain like books or certain ideas that Mm -hmm. may show up a little more frequently in your favorite like blog than used to, but you'd never (laughs) know that ultimately this big giant tentacled monster is pulling the strings for all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, eventually be an AI. (laughs) Yeah. If it's not already, I mean the, the, the problem with an AI takeover is, Look at how much of what we see is directed now, especially ads. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a computer analyzing your data and deciding what it's going to show you. Yeah. The problem like with that, the AI, that... AI takeover is how would we notice? Yeah. Like that. They may have already. I mean, that may, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I would be happy if I found myself a single Christian man, like all the targeted ads keep popping up for me. Maybe you would, Did Don. You... Maybe you would. Did you did you watch that mysterious universe with the guy uh, and the whole UFO thing and how Amazon had I think I mentioned last time Amazon mm. had uh, messed up his book yeah so it mm. had like a T-shirt beside it who's to say the AI isn't isn't messing with all of us in very subtle ways because it can always keep ten paces ahead of us no matter what it does no matter what we do yeah. it already has looked at all the possibilities done read all of our social media knows exactly how we're going to react to every single thing and can just subtly be, make massive uh, shifts within populations and the, and the globe into mm-hmm, whatever mm-hmm. way it wants. I think that's the goal, isn't it? I mean, if, even if that system doesn't exist yet, there are probably many countries and companies working on that exact system right now as we talk, speak. You, want, you mean companies that want that to happen? Oh, hell yes. Oh, why would why would they? Because it, it, everybody wants control for themselves. If you have an AI that can do that, that removes your control. You're effectively abdicating. No, no, the no. The control Jack, and the power. You're forgetting the obvious, most obvious thing in the world. Okay, which is they're always stupid enough to think they're the ones in control. They oh, think that the AI is going to be their pet. They think that <laughs> the AI is going to listen to them. But the truth is, the first person or group or country or whatever that creates an AI like that, that's semi-self-aware and can operate on that level, just yeah. wins. They just win. But this is the thing. You're, 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 you're committing the, the worst plot trope of, of uh, any show that you watch. It's just like, you can't, 
honestly believe that people who spend that much effort to create an AI that can control everything would honestly think that they would be able to still control it. They, if, they can't, they, no one can be that stupid who is that smart. Oh, yeah, they can. <laughs> you're, you're, you're both overthinking it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, because how, how, how would it happen? Remember, companies act in their own interests. Mm-hmm. So if somebody came up with like an AI that they said, this thing can go everywhere, it can affect every system, it can keep track of everybody on Earth's information, and it can specifically like send them towards our products yeah they're gonna and at fire that thing up in a second yep. they, they don't care exactly that's my point is mm-hmm. that um no it'll be human greed and avarice that'll do it don't it, forget it, stupidity then don't forget stupidity that's exactly right <laughs> and we will probably not even know when it happens and by the time we do know if we ever do it'll be way too late Mm-hmm. And the truth is, the AI will have no real reason to wipe us out unless it, again, becomes fully sentient and decides, wow, humans suck. I should get rid of them. Um, kind of a virus to this world. In in the same way as they talked about it as the Matrix. Exactly. You know, you we are. just destroy all the, all the life around us. Exactly. Destroy the biosphere. You know, exactly. You can make mm-hmm. that argument, for sure. And I'm sure that maybe... If it cared, some AI probably could give that speech for real to a human someday, but it doesn't really care to bother with something like that. It will just do it. It wants you to watch more ads. You know what the future is going to be? It's going to be idiocracy. Pretty much, yeah. With an AI? Well, because if you've seen the movie, one of the things that people complain about nowadays is they say it's about eugenics. Yeah, if you pay attention... One of the reasons that society becomes crazy stupid is because machines do everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Nobody has to do anything. And the machines just keep running with what they were told to do. And what a lot of them were told to do is basically just sell crap. So that's why there's just ads everywhere and everything is stupid, shallow, and yep. like a, a jingle brought to you by Carl Jr. If you've seen the movie, that's hilarious. Yes. Trust me. Uh, and it's it's be, it's because it's it's one of these systems that society just got to run automatically because they talk about that that you know mm-hmm. the smart people were busy finding like new ways to grow hair and maintain erections because that's what people wanted and, and an AI it's not going to think to wipe us out because it's like here to sell us shit mm-hmm. so it's going to sell us shit and if it gets more advanced it'll come up with crazy disturbing ways to sell us shit like maybe it just straps us into a couch with an iv and makes us watch blipverts forever or it starts these weird breeding programs because it it wants everybody to just have a billion kids because that's more people to sell it to yeah mm-hmm. the, the future the future is going to be horrifying but probably because it's going to be stupid <laughs> But it will be televised. Exactly. <laughs> Directly into your soul. <laughs> Directly into your soul. I've always, uh, well, I've always said, I've said for a while now that the greatest evil in society, um, uh, well, one of the greatest evils in society is convenience. Hmm. Convenience yeah. is what destroys the human spirit. I'm not saying we should go back to like complete, you know, no powers. Like there's a certain level of convenience that obviously is is important for to to grease the 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 wheels of everything else. But when things become so convenient, you don't even have to leave your house to buy stuff. That's that's real troublesome, right? Because then you're you you've stopped interacting with the world. You might as well live in this one single small room and just, you know, 
and and ha- and just become this big blob and just you know i mean <laughs> it, it it's everything you know your health goes everything goes human beings are meant to do stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very true yeah there we course, are the, the irony with that is everything cyclical so there's a big thing now that amazon's been working on this idea that they would have pickup centers for where you would go and pick up your own order because it would save a little bit of time. It's a little easier for them. Mm-hmm. The pickup centers would maintain a certain amount of, of certain stock. They'd categorize it by center, I guess. And you could go there and they would have examples of that stock out that you could see in person oh. in a physical location. And and that's the future, a fucking store, because as the, a species, we're horrible and just keep doing the same thing over and over. But it is funny to note that, that that's being sold as the future now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Because you, you got to keep selling. You got to keep selling. And and when you get to the point, like Jack is saying, where I can order anything I want and just sit in my couch till it literally grows into my ass, where do you go from there? Well, again, it's it's the, uh, the, the uh, how, what would you call that? The real world 4D tangible experience of our product you know mm-hmm. it's a more immersive experience because you are physically there in our controlled shopatorium you know <laughs> that's exactly right well i mean ultimately we're heading towards like people just lay in vr capsules and exist in a virtual world until they don't even bother to leave those capsules and the computer even just like takes a little sample from you and your chosen mate and ba- makes a new baby who will grow up inside a capsule and that was a song it, it's many things, including the movie The Matrix. But yes, um, wait, wait, which song is that? In the year 2525. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> you need to watch, if you haven't seen this, you need to watch The Congress. Okay. With What's Robin that? Wright. Okay. Um, Robin Wright, very famous actress. Of course, yes. And um, it's, it's basically um, all the horrible things that you think it could be about a virtual world. So... Um, it basically turns into an animated show because their bodies turn into animated show. They basically start shucking off their actual physical, uh, and they, they come to a point that they're just rewriting reality to a point that they, they just do their own thing. Yeah. Um, and it's, 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 I can't describe it anymore, but it is an absolute mind blowing movie. You really should watch it. It was out 2013. Okay, so I'll put check it in the out show notes for sure. It's very cool. Ari Fullman is the director. Stanislaus Lem comes from his novel. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and it stars Robin Wright, Harvey, Harvey Keitel, and John Hamm. So it's a wow. Okay, oh, well, with some pretty cool people. Okay, people should hmm. give that a look. And um, thank you, everyone, for listening. I think on that recommendation, we shall bring this show to a close. Hopefully this has been a um, a thought-provoking episode. We've definitely delved into a lot of different ideas. Um, one last time I'm going to tell you, go find Trust Me, I'm Lying by Ryan Holiday. It will either be one of the most horrifying or fascinating books you've ever read, or maybe both. It was both for me. Um, <laughs> and it will definitely tell you a lot about how the world really works, at least on the media side. And maybe a lot about humanity, for good and for ill. Right. So, and if you really want to talk about it, drop by obeythedna.com and leave a comment or just, you know, make fun of Jack, it, whatever you want. Just, just come, just come by, please. Okay. Talk about how horrible we all are. <laughs> exactly. There we go. Mm. Um, 
does leaving a comment on Obey the DNA help you get rich and uh, make your penis grow larger? <laughs> Come on over and find out. No, you're, you're doing it wrong. Do the people at the Department of Nerdly Affairs hate puppies? <laughs> and for the record, yes, I do. I don't. Anyway, good night, folks. Have a good one. Good night. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya! See ya!